We're in John chapter 6, if you'll find your Bible. John chapter 6. We're going to be looking at a subject that every single Christian deals with in their Christian life. Uh, It comes early on in your Christian life when you start understanding that this is a a challenge that you have in your life. And then uh, you're going to be surprised that uh, you find that that challenge never really goes away. And so you will recognize that challenge, and then you'll think, okay, that's, that's what I'm going to work on. And, uh, and then a, a few days later, you'll say, now, that's what I'm going to work on. And then another week, well, yeah, that's, and you're going to find you're saying that often to yourself. And so we're going to look at that, and we're going to take a biblical example to be able to show you how a very a godly example in Scripture uh, dealt with the very same thing that every single child of God deals with. And so we're going to start off by reading two uh, Bible verses, uh, one in John and one in Matthew, and then I'll introduce the title of the message and talk a little about it before we get right into it. So if you found that passage or you see it on the screen and you're able to, could you stand up? While we read these two verses, such a joy to see each one of here with us. And of course, those who are visiting, uh, we're so glad to have them with us from uh, Arizona and then Florida. And uh, we are experiencing a little bit of the weather that you experience all the time, right? Uh, All the time. Uh, But praise the Lord, they can have it all the time. I think 117 in Phoenix sometimes. I drove by there one time and saw that, and I thought, and they still live there. I, that's amazing. Nobody's outside walking around, but they're all hibernating inside air conditioning. We're in John chapter 6, verse 67, and we'll read verse 68. Then saith Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of life. And we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. Wow. Now, how many of you would say, I would love to be Peter at that moment, right? It doesn't get any better than that. Because he's the first one that is going to confess, we know who you are. You're not just a prophet. You're not just a teacher. You're not just a miracle worker. We believe and are sure that thou art the Christ. And that that word Christ is the office of Messiah. You are the Messiah. You are the promised one, the son of the living God. You are deity in flesh. We know who you are. Who else can we go to? There's no one else to go to. What a powerful confession of who Jesus Christ is by Simon Peter, one of his faithful followers, one of the inner three. Now we want to look at Matthew chapter 16 and verse 22 and 23. Now this is a little different. Then Peter took him. Now, I would suggest don't try to grab a hold of the one who created everything. 
your grip is not that powerful. Don't, he took him. Now, Jesus. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him. Number two, don't grab a hold of the one that created everything and don't rebuke the person who created you. I, I would not do that. Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. Jesus had just prophetically said he's going to go to the cross. But he turned and said unto Peter, get thee behind me. Now, is this an affectionate term, Satan? (laughs) Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Now, wait a minute. Is this the same Peter we're reading about? This is the one that says, we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. It doesn't get any better. I'm going to serve you. I believe in you. And now he's taking Jesus and rebuking him and said, be it far from thee. And Peter, I mean, Jesus says, get thee behind me, Satan. Wow. I'm going to speak tonight on the subject settled, but not settled. And you're going to find that as we look through these scriptures, it's going to be a reflection of how you and I and every child of God feels about their life and their walk with God time after time after time. Settled but not settled. Let's have prayer and then you be seated. Father, thank you for this time we have to come together. Let the word of God speak to our hearts. Help us see a truth, dear Lord, that will help us as believers to understand this conflict that we constantly live with. And Lord, uh, so many Christians I've known along the way uh, feel so poorly about themselves because they're basing themselves on their individually individual performance rather than that which is in Christ. And Father, help us to realize that we are who we are in you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. Okay. Nothing's worse than praying and then have the phone go off in your ears. I I have uh, hearing aids on. Uh, I remember the day about uh, eight years ago where I finally broke down and got glasses because I was misreading scripture and I finally dawned on me, okay, I'm going to break down. But my vanity was crushed because, you know, I, I wanted to preach like this to a bunch of faceless people and look down and see the word of God just so blurry I couldn't read a word of it. And finally I I said, well, I'm throwing my vanity out the window, and I'm going to do this. But I'd made up my mind. I was not going to be one of those preachers that I grew up with that would go like this, and then like this, and like this. And as a young child, uh, having a guest speaker come in that did that, I counted 78 times. (laughs) Because honestly, when they're doing that, I can't pay attention to the message. I just start counting one, two, three. Now, I I don't know what you count while I'm preaching, but it's not going to be taking my glasses on and putting them back on. 
But all of my vanity went out the window when I finally broke down and got hearing aids. And I'm putting together a message that I'm going to preach sometime on perspectives. God has a way of changing your perspective about things. As pastor of Grandview Baptist Church so many times, I would say to the sound man, turn it up. We want to be able to hear everything. And then I got hearing aids. And then I'd say, turn it down. Wow, what, are you, what is this? It's so loud. So sometimes I just reach up and pull them out or get on my phone and get it and I can turn them off. Well, I digress. Now back to the message. Settled or not settled? Have you ever wondered about why you seem to be so settled at times? I know our teenagers came back from youth camp. I remember those days. And you come back on a spiritual plane, a spiritual high. I mean, honestly, it's like you can take off without a runway. You are so spiritually boosted that you don't need to get a runway and take You're just one of those jets that just pick up in the air and go. And that's how you feel spiritually. And there's times in our lives where that's exactly how we feel spiritually. And, and yet, within a few days or two, you find yourself so unsettled. Why would I do that? I'm, I'm sold out for Jesus. Why would I think that? Why would I say that? Why did I respond that way? Why did I seem so angry? Why did this happen in my life? Because I've settled things. And yet that's the experience of the Christian life. And tonight we're going to look at a classic example of the life of one of the most faithful followers of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's Peter. Now we know that the gospel according to Mark, many people say that Mark simply was the one who wrote and Peter was the one who shared with him the truth by the Holy Spirit of God. We don't know that for sure, but that's commonly accepted by early church fathers. And we know he wrote First and Second Peter. We know that he was very influential in the early uh, church. Uh, he wasn't the leader of the church in Jerusalem, but God used Peter in a very special way. And we know according to church history, he was literally crucified upside down for the cause of Christ. Here's a man who gave his life for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. But what I'm going to show you in Scripture is it's going to show us times where he settled, and then we're going to see times where he is unsettled. And you're going to be able to relate to his life as you consider your own life. Now, in some ways, we can be so settled as far as salvation is concerned. And by the way, and so we should. And so we should. So even no matter what happens in our life, we are settled when it comes to salvation. We're saved by the grace of God, not of works lest any man should boast. We know that. Uh, but then even being saved and know that we're going to heaven, we seem so unsettled when it comes to service. Well, it's time to do outreach. Yeah, but did you know it's 90, uh, 92? Well, did you know it was 102 today? I mean, it doesn't matter what the service is. There's always, a, there's always in the back of mind, uh, yeah, I'd love to, but no, yeah, I, I, I don't, I, I just, I, uh, don't count on me. And we wouldn't say it like that, but sometimes we're looking for an exit door. No, I don't want to volunteer on that. 
Why are we so unsettled at times? Let me just say we ought to be settled as it relates to salvation. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, excuse me, verse 12, says, For the which cause I also suffer these things, nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. And uh, Paul is saying, hey, listen, I know who I have believed in. If you're a child of God, it doesn't matter whether you're a really strong Christian or what you'd consider, I'm sort of a weak Christian. It really doesn't matter. If you've trusted Christ as your personal Savior, there's something inside of you that says, I know whom I have believed in. Amen, period. It's settled, exclamation point. I know I'm trusting Jesus Christ. I know I invited Christ in my life. I know I'm trusting him as my personal savior. It is settled. And that's our salvation. And rightly so. And your salvation ought to be settled. Years ago, I heard that if someone says, do you know if you died today, uh, you'd go to heaven? There's only two answers. And those answers are found in your own heart. The first answer is an exclamation point. An exclamation point. Yes, I'm saved. And I know I'm saved. And by the way, that's the vast majority of those who place faith in Christ. We know it. Secondly, there's a question mark. I think I did. Mama says I did. My Sunday school teacher remembers when I did. I've heard even my pastor tell me that I did. Uh, But uh, it's sort of of foggy. Well, listen, if you have a question mark, you need to turn it into an exclamation point. And that's when you get it settled. You know that you know that you know that you know that you're saved. You got it settled. So And so we ought to be when it comes to salvation. We ought to have it settled. But at the same time, then we come with the Christian life. And the Christian life isn't something that Christ settled. Uh, that's sort of like us work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Not working out getting saved or being saved. But working out the fruit of salvation as we yield to the Holy Spirit of God and the Holy Spirit of God flows through us. We've got to have a yielding. He does not do that automatically. Wouldn't it be amazing if the Christian life was like AI? You trust Christ and it automatically takes over and we don't have to do anything? Man, I've read on Facebook, you can get rich that way. I mean, I read it just yesterday. It's got to be true. It's on Facebook. If you, if you put in $50, it can turn into $200,000. And I'm thinking, good night. Wow, where do I sign up? That's amazing. Wouldn't it be nice if the Christian life was like that? You trusted Christ as your Savior, and then the Holy Spirit came in and dwelt, and he said, Mike, I know this is a struggle for you, but I I just want you to know just to rest. It's all mine. I got it. It's good. It's going to be fantastic. And, And you just wake up, live and breathe, and I'll just come in and I'll make all your choices. I'll, I'll help you choose the right thing. I'll help you go the right place. I'll help you say the right thing. And I'll make sure that every thought that goes through your head is yielded to the mastery of the Lord Jesus Christ. We'd say, oh man, yeah. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Hey folks, that's heaven. (laughs) But we're not there yet, are we? 
No, it's not like that now. And the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 7, verse 18 through 20, for I know that in me, well, who's this talking? This is the Apostle Paul. This is the gentleman who wrote half the New Testament. This is the one who went on three missionary journeys, and some say almost four, because he made another trip. This is the Apostle Paul. This is Saul of Tarsus, saved on the road to Damascus, life transformed. God used him in a powerful way, and almost every day somebody is preaching about him and what he did and what the Holy Spirit of God gave him to say in the Word of God. But here's what he says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Dwelleth no good thing. Now, let me just ask you, if that's the case for the Apostle Paul, might that not that also be the case for, say, you and I? Could it be that our flesh is just the same as his flesh? That in our flesh dwelleth no good thing? Now, we don't have time for a testimony service, but I'm sure we could gather a few men. I know, I know men, ladies, we could gather some men here and they could testify the same thing, that in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. And it may be, if we ask the ladies to testify, there might be one or two snuck in there somewhere that have that same testimony. The truth is, our flesh isn't any good at all. We can't trust it as far as we can throw it. And that's why as a believer, we always got to be in the right place doing the right thing because we cannot trust our flesh in the wrong place with the wrong friends uh, doing the wrong thing. We cannot trust it. And Paul goes on and he says, dwelleth no good thing for to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if it, if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Now, I know at the end of that, he's going to get, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And then he's going to say, I thank my God through Jesus Christ. Uh, and, and he, and, That's all he's going to say. He doesn't say how it happens. He's just going to say, as I look to the Lord, I can get victory. And uh, we know that's true. But we also know that's not perfectly true because we uh, want to yield to the Spirit of God. The problem is we're just not very good at yielding all the time. Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 12, present our bodies a living sacrifice. But as I've heard, we're one of those living sacrifices. We like to climb up on the altar, but as soon as we feel the heat, we like to climb off of it. I mean, it's like climbing on, climbing off. It's not talking about salvation, folks. It's just talking about us serving God. We, we get on the altar. You know, the altar is a place of death. It's not very comfortable. It's a place of finality, dying to self, and it's never easy to stay there. Philippians chapter 2 verse 13 says this, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So let me simply say this before we get any further. Uh, Paul said, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. 
But then he says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So let me simply say this. If there's anything good in us as believers, it's because God did it. God did it, both to will and to do. He gave us the desire. Well, I, I go to church, you know, so many times a week. Well, praise God. He gave you the desire to do it and the will to do it, both to will and to do. Desire and performance. And that is a work of God. We yield to God and God does a work through us. So in reality, as believers, we have nothing to brag about. Nothing to take credit of. Well, God's used me to build a great Sunday school class, or God's built, used me to preach at a church, or God's used... No, no, yeah, that's it. You're just a vessel. You're just an earthen vessel, and that's who we are as believers. If there's anything good in us, God gets all the credit. Amen? Amen. That's right. It's not us. It's not because we have better willpower than other believers that we live right. It's that we're yielded to the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us, and He does a work of which only He can do. Now, having said that, Peter is in one of the passages of Scripture so settled, we believe and art sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And yet, in another passage, he seems so unsettled. And that's what we're looking at tonight. How is that the case of someone who is such a committed follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? And let me just say, that's exactly what you've asked yourself many, many times in your Christian life. How could I think that? How could I be in the middle of a church service sometimes and wondering, oh, I wish I was somewhere else. Wait a minute, where'd that thought come from? I'm in church doing what I'm supposed to do. Where'd I get that thought? Remember when you got a savior, you also got an adversary, the devil. And you didn't get rid of your fallen nature because you trusted Christ. You got a new man, but the old man is still with you. And now the constant conflict of your Christian life. So let's look at some examples here very quickly. We see that he's settled. Look at John chapter 13. You'll see it on the screen. Uh, I'm going to have too many scriptures for you to be turning back and forth. John chapter 13, verse 36 and 37. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, well, we're going to read this again. Whither goest thou? Jesus said, uh, whither goest thou? Thou canst not follow me now. Oh, no, this is a different passage. But thou shalt follow me afterwards. Peter said unto him, Lord... Why cannot I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. Now, I just said, can it be more powerful than saying, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God? Well, that's the greatest acknowledgement, but the greatest statement that would ever come out of a Christian is, I will lay down my life for you. Jesus, I will lay down my life for you. Do you know in foreign countries where people are dying of persecution, they will take someone who's a believer 
And in the Middle East, if they want to kill them, they'll take a knife and they'll put it to their throat. And do you realize that all they have to do is deny God and praise Allah and they get to live? That's all they have to do. They put the knife to their throat. They're going to cut their throat and bleed them like a stuck pig. They're going to kill them. Or they're going to chop off their head. And all they have to do is deny Christ and pledge allegiance to Allah and they'll let them go. And yet every one of them dies. Every one of them dies. Because they believe the same thing Peter just said. I will lay down my life for him. Now, I wonder if it ever gets that way in America. What us as Christian Americans will do. Hopefully the same things they'll do in the Middle East when they're threatened their life for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. But here he is. I will lay down my life for thy sake. Now, how much settled do you have to be to be able to say that? I mean, wow. That's impressive. What if we had testimonies? Last week we had 87 that went to teen camp and they came back and gave their testimony. By the way, that was so moving. Amen. That was amazing. But imagine a 13 year old coming back and said, I made a decision and my decision is I will lay down my life for Jesus Christ. Well, we go, whoa, wow. Talk about a youth camp. What were they preaching? I'd like to get a hold of that sermon. We'd see that dedication in the life of a young believer. We'd say, that is amazing. God's going to use that young lady. God's going to use that young man. But that's exactly what Peter said. I'll lay down my life for you. Now, I don't know about you, but it sure looks settled to me. But then we see him not settled. Look at John chapter 18, verses 15 through 18. The Bible says, And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. That disciple was known unto the high priest, and went in with Jesus into the place of the high priest. Now, this was John the apostle. But Peter stood at the door without. Then went out that other disciple, that's John, which was known unto the high priest, and spake unto her that kept the door, and brought in Peter. Then saith the damsel that kept the door unto Peter, Art not thou also one of this man's disciples? And he saith, I am not. Well, he just said, I'll, I'll lay down my life for you. And now he's saying, I am not. By the way, you know, every time the Holy Spirit of God puts it on our heart to share the gospel with someone who needs it, and we don't do it. You know what we're doing? We're saying, I am not. That's what we're saying. Now, we would never say that. But that's what our actions are saying when we're not yielding to how the Holy Spirit of God prompts us by the way, in not just that situation, but any situation in life when we're prompted of the Holy Spirit and we just, we just don't do it, by our actions we're saying, I am not a disciple of him. 
though we know we are. And the servants and the officers stood there who had made a fire of coals, for it was cold, and they warmed themselves. And Peter stood with them and warmed himself. Skip down to verse 25. And Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. And they said, therefore, unto him, Art not thou also one of his disciples? He denied it and said, I am not. You know, once you... Once you say no to God once, it's easier to say no to God twice and three times and four times. It's a dangerous thing to say no to God because it becomes repetitious. One of the servants of the high priest being his kinsman, whose ear Peter cut off, said, Did not I see you in the garden with him? Now, when a man cuts off your relative's ear, you tend to know who that guy is, right? Hey, I remember you. As soon as my cousin lost his ear, I looked over right at you and I've memorized everything. I know it's you. And Peter then denied again and immediately the cock crew, the rooster crowed. Now, he's denied Jesus Christ three times in one night, all in a matter of an hour or so. And yet he's told Jesus before, I will lay down my life for you. You've got to say, whoa, is that the same guy? Is he going to die for Christ? But here he's denying Christ three times. And, and by the way, look, look what else he did. Because John is used of the Holy Spirit to be a little gracious toward Peter. He denies Jesus three times. But Matthew, on the other hand, uh, says, well... Uh, the Holy Spirit uses him to be a little bit more insightful. And the Bible says, Then began he to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man. And immediately the cock crew. So uh, here he is, <laughs> this faithful disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, willing to lay down his life, says, We believe and are assured that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now he's swearing up a storm, cussing and swearing and saying, I don't know him. Wow. Isn't that crazy? How can that be? How can it be so settled and then yet so unsettled? Why is it that we walk, uh, we act so unsettled at times? Have you ever wondered that about you? You know, if some of you were saved when you were young, as I was at nine years of age, you know that most of your sin was done after you met the Savior. (laughs) You realize that? And you say, and I'm a Christian? And I'm a follower of Christ and I've done things I'm ashamed of? Well, that'd be a good way to clear out the room. Let's have confessions of everything we're ashamed of. That'd get everybody out these doors real fast, right? Aren't you glad that everything we're ashamed of is under the blood of Jesus Christ? (laughs) Praise God. Amen. Forgiven. In the sea of his forgetfulness, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed my transgressions from me. Praise God. Isn't that wonderful? Why is it then we're so disappointed in ourselves so many times? Why are we so settled and then yet so 
unsettled. But then we see Peter settled again. Mark chapter 16, verse 7. It says, But go your way, tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him as he said unto you. See, the last time we see Peter is he's walking out weeping bitterly because the rooster crows and it all comes back to him. Jesus said, I deny him three times and I just did. We're swearing. Oh, I hate that. He cries bitter tears. He goes out. He said, nobody wants to be around me. I don't want to be around the disciples. They wouldn't want to be around me. If they knew what I did, I couldn't even go to church with anybody. They'd all know. Man, talk about failing Jesus. So Jesus, after the resurrection, says to Mary Magdalene, go tell his disciples and Peter. Because Jesus knows what we need to hear when we need to hear it. And that's a good thing about any message. The Holy Spirit of God knows what you need to hear when you need to hear it. So a pastor may preach on this, but the Holy Spirit preaches on this while a pastor's preaching on this. Because he knows what you need when you need it. And the Holy Spirit of God has that ability while preaching of the word is going on that it might not be even the text that speaks to your heart, but the Holy Spirit of God, of course, knows the whole text, so he can bring any verse to mind in your heart and do a work. One of the reasons you ought to be in church is not just because you love every sermon that ever comes your way, it's just that while you're here, the Spirit of God can speak to your individual heart. Here we are in church and we're sitting down so comfortable, but the Spirit of God can speak to your heart on something the pastor's not even touching on because he is not bound by the message. He is the message and he is the messenger. But it won't happen at home watching football. Oh, that was a good block. The Holy Spirit's using that to teach me that I should block. <laughs> no, it doesn't work that way. We're not watching basketball and the Holy Spirit says, oh, that was a good shot. Well, what's the spiritual implication of that? Maybe, no, no, it doesn't work that way. But when we get in God's house, obeying God's word, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, the Holy Spirit of God can speak to our hearts about things Nobody even mentioned, but he knows what you need to hear when you need to hear it. And by the way, it's not always a still, small voice. Sometimes he's speaking pretty loud to us. The Bible says in Luke chapter 24, verse 12, then arose Peter and ran into the sepulcher and stooping down, he beheld the linen cloths laid by themselves and departed, wondering in himself at that which was come to pass. He heard that Jesus Christ was resurrected. And the Bible's going to tell us that John and Peter went running to the sepulcher. Of course, John's a younger apostle, so he beats him there. But he stops on the outside. Peter is running slower, but he runs and gets there and runs past John into the sepulcher and looks around and saying, John, he's gone. But the linen is still lying there where they laid him. 
I would say that right now he's pretty settled. John chapter 20, verse 3 through 6. Peter therefore went forth and that other disciple, John, and came into the sepulcher. So they ran both together and the other disciple did outrun Peter. This is just what I've shared with you. And came first to the sepulcher and he stooped down and looking in saw the linen cloth lying Yet went he not in, then cometh Peter, Simon Peter, following. He's catching his breath. <laughs> he's about our, my age, probably. He's been running, but now he's catching his second wind. No, I, that's a fib, because I never really catch my second wind, unless I take a nap. That does it every time. Then cometh Simon Peter, following him, and went into the sepulcher, and seeth the linen clothes lie. See... Now he's settled. He's where he ought to be, doing what he's ought to be. He's settled in the Lord, serving the Lord. Then we see him again, unsettled. John chapter 21, verses 1 through 3. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And on this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee and the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. And they said unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into the ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. Now, Jesus has just met with him after the resurrection. The commission has already been given earlier. And now he says, I want to go soul winning. I want to go start a church. I want to go share the... No, no, he says, I want to go fishing. By the way, sometimes I feel that way too. I want to go fishing. That's just sometimes we want to go hunting or go fishing or go golfing or go for a drive or... Go on a vacation. I want to I go. And we're saying, well, Peter, you, you just met the risen Savior, and he just told you what you're going to be doing, and, and now you, you, you want to go fishing? He seems unsettled. He wants to go. Isn't that what we're prone to do sometimes? We get excited. We go to a conference. We have a conference at our church on missions. It's a man. I'd love to be a missionary. And about three days after it says, Honey, I think we need to go on a vacation. You know, we went every night of the missions conference. We need a vacation. You know, we need... it's not that we need to go visit the mission field. No, no. I like to see it on screen, but not in person. Then we see him unsettled again, or settled again. John chapter 21, verse 15 through 17. So when they had dined, Jesus said unto Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He said unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I need them, uh, knowest that I love thee. He said unto them, Feed my lambs. He said to him the second time, Simon Peter, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He said unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He said unto them, Feed my sheep. Now, wait a minute. How many times did Peter deny Jesus? How many times? Three. How many times did Jesus say, lovest thou me? How many times did he asked that question? Oh, exactly three times two. I think if Peter had denied Jesus four times, Jesus would have asked the question four times. But he asked it 
each time for a different denial. He's trying to help Peter settle some things. Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He said unto him, Feed my sheep. He said unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus said unto him, Feed my sheep. Right after that, in verse 19, it says, This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said unto him, speaking to Peter, Follow me. And then in verse 22 of the same chapter, Jesus said unto him, And if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. So three times he says, feed my sheep or feed my lambs. And two times he says, follow me. And now Peter knows what he's going to do for the rest of his life as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ is feeding sheep and following the shepherd. Feeding sheep and following the shepherd. By the way, isn't that the same thing we're supposed to be doing? Feeding sheep and following the shepherd encouraging one another and following the shepherd, loving one another and following the shepherd, teaching one another and following the shepherd, uh, edifying one another and following the shepherd. We're feeding and we're following, and that's the mission of our Christian life till Jesus comes and gets us all or we meet him in death. Feeding and following. And may I just one more time say that when we show up on any service, we're not here to be fed by a pastor behind a pulpit. We are all in the feeding business of encouraging one another, feeding one another, being a blessing to one another, edifying one another, encouraging one another. And then we're also following the master, following our savior, following the shepherd, feeding and following. And that is what our Christian life is all about. The apostle Paul knew the need of a Christian to be settled in his service. And so he gives us some answers as to how to accomplish this. Our time is gone. I thought that said 601, but now it says 607. So let me give you some brief stuff. What's the Paul, what does Paul give us? First of all, if we want to be a faithful follower, now, and, and let me preface this, you are never going to outgrow or outlive the struggle of the Christian life. So if you ever think that you are going to one day be a worthy Christian of Christ's love, you might as well give that up right now because we are all just sinners saved by God's grace. His grace. It's wonderful. When you ever get to the place where you understand His grace, it's a wonderful thing in your Christian life to know that He accepts you despite who we are. He loves us anyway. He loves us anyway. Praise God. That's wonderful. But he shares some things. Here's some things that are going to help us. First of all, a sacrificial life. 
Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. A sacrificial life. Live your life and put Christ in the preeminent spot. Not a place of priority. Priority means he's number one. Preeminence means he's way above number two. He's not just number one on your list. He's way above number two. He's preeminent. A sacrificial life. Secondly, a selfless life. 1 Corinthians 15, 31. I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die daily. I die daily. What's he mean by that? He dies to self. He dies to self. You know, the Christian life's not about us. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. It's about others. And it's about us last. Someone said the way to spell joy, Jesus first, others second, yourself last. Joy. You ever put yourself first, you've got a miserable life. Because if you ever live for yourself, you have a very small world. But if you live for God, you've got a whole universe. Because he's everywhere. A selfless life, a sacrificial life. Thirdly, a spirit-filled life. Ephesians 5, 18 through 21, and be not drunk with wine where is in excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto the Lord, unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Be filled with the Spirit. And literally, you know that's, that's in the linear tense in Greek. So it means be ye being filled. It's not a one-time filling. It's a progressive yielding yourself over and over. Now, when you got saved, you got the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You got the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit uh, wants to do more than indwell you. Um, let's see. Mauricio, can I have you help me up here? Oh, he's such a good helper, my good friend, Mauricio. And let me just summarize this and help everyone to understand it very clearly. So when I trust the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior, the Holy Spirit of God indwells me. And that means that wherever I go, the Holy Spirit goes. Where, yeah, he's, he's not as smart as the Holy Spirit, but he's learning. So wherever I go, the Holy Spirit of God goes. So when I go home, the Holy Spirit of God goes home with me. When I go to church, the Holy Spirit of God goes with me. When I go to work, the Holy Spirit of God goes with me. If I go to a tavern and sit on a bar stool, the Holy Spirit goes with me. But the Bible says, quench not the Holy Spirit of God. He doesn't want to go there, but he goes there because he lives in me. So sometimes we take him where he doesn't want to go, right? But that's, that's, he's used to that because he's been around Christians for a long time. And so wherever I go, he goes. That's the indwelling. But now here is the fullness. When we get to the place of saying, Holy Spirit, I, I don't want to direct my life every, anymore. I want you to lead and guide my life. 
And so that means wherever he goes, I go. That's the Spirit-filled life. Is whatever the Holy Spirit, wherever he goes, that's where I go. Whatever he wants me to say, that's what I say. Whatever he wants me to do, that's what I want to do. If he wants me to be a missionary, I'm good with it. Uh, all he has to do is guide me. I'm willing to do whatever he wants me to do. That is the Spirit-filled life. It's not the Holy Spirit tagging along in your life. It's you tagging along in his life. Thank you, Mauricio. Appreciate that. So that's the Spirit-filled life. And boy, it's so much easier to be settled when we're following the Holy Spirit. Now, please do not get the idea that this man who's preaching to you always follows perfectly the Holy Spirit of God. No, it's a struggle in my life like it's a struggle in your life. But it's something we always ought to be working on is yielding to the Holy Spirit because my, the trouble you, we can avoid in our lives when we're following the Holy Spirit because he's not going to lead us through those potholes and those ditches and all the other places we wind up in life if we're following him. A spirit-filled life. You are saved and that's settled. But your service for Jesus is going to be settled and then unsettled and then settled and then unsettled. And as long as you live in this flesh, folks, that's what it's going to be. You're not going to live better than Apostle Paul. You're not going to live better than the Apostle Peter. You're, you're not going to be better than these men who were in the inner circle of the Lord Jesus Christ. So learn to be at peace with your always striving to be settled in your service. And when, you're fail, when you fail, don't beat yourself up. May I say, when you fail, that's a time to rejoice in His grace. He knows that's not what we want to do. He knows that's our flesh. Paul says, I realize that sin dwelleth in me, so when I do what I don't want to do, it is no more I that do it, he said, but sin that dwelleth in me. Amen? So learn to live with your own humanity. We're serving the Savior. We're settled on our salvation, and we're settled and unsettled and settled and unsettled. And folks, that's the Christian life right there as illustrated by the life of Simon Peter, one of the inner three followers of our blessed Savior. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. We're going to have a word of prayer here in just a minute. I would just ask, is there someone here tonight and you say, Pastor, I think that helped me a little. Is there anybody like that? Would you just raise your hand? I think that helped me a little bit. Because, man, I'm, I'm going through those struggles. Thank you. Thank you. I go through those struggles. Well, folks, that lets you know that you're just an ordinary follower of the blessed Savior. Because that same struggle is found in every single Christian that's ever existed. And that's why heaven's so precious to us, because the struggle is not in heaven. And as much as we love the golden streets and the mansions, it's the fact that this struggle 
to stay settled in Christ is no longer there. We are constantly, eternally settled with our Savior forever and ever and ever. And there is no sin in heaven. But learn to love yourself like Jesus loves you. Learn your identity in Christ. It's not based on your performance. It's based on his performance, what he did at Calvary for you. Father, speak to our hearts as only you can. Thank you for being so kind as to show us these examples in Scripture and let us know that we're just normal Christians doing the best we know how to do to serve a wonderful Savior. And Lord, I pray these dear Christians would feel good about themselves. We never feel good about sin, but we can feel good about ourselves because we are your beloved. We are the apple of your eye. We are the one you gave yourself for. And Lord, I pray that we'll see ourselves like you do. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand at our feet. The piano's playing. If there's a decision you want to make, you can make it at an old-fashioned altar, or you can make it where you are, but learn to see ourselves like Jesus sees us and realize that as long as we live, we're going to be struggling and then settled and then unsettled. It's just, it's just the battle we're in all our lives. The more you serve God, the more you're going to struggle. The more you want God to use you, the more you're going to think you're unworthy. God bless you. So good to have each one of you here with us. Would you sit down real quickly? We'll watch a video here. Many years ago, uh, well, throughout the ministry, I've been preaching for a while, 47 years. uh, People would say, Pastor, I would teach Sunday school. I'd sing in the choir. I'd do this or that. But quite frankly, I don't, I'm not worthy. And I said, well, there's a good reason you feel unworthy. I says, because you are. And that's, that's every Christian. We are unworthy. But we might as well toss that out the window and serve God anyway. Just serve him anyway. We're just fallen creatures that have a one risen Savior. And so let's just serve him anyway. Let's watch this very quickly and we're dismissed. The Best Years Club will be holding a luncheon tomorrow, August 14th at noon. The cost is $10. Join us here at the church for a special time of food and fellowship. To sign up for this and other Best Years Club activities, check the sign-up sheets on the welcome desk. We're gearing up for school to start back up and are planning a back-to-school Sunday on August 27th at 11 a.m. On the special day, we'll have inflatables for the kids and backpack giveaways. If you would like to contribute school supplies, we will be accepting donations to be given away to public schools in our area. If you are interested in donating to aid and scholarships for Grandview Christian Academy, you can give online at grandviewcares.com forward slash give. 
Awana will be starting back up on Wednesday, September 6th. Every week, the children will get to play games and get prizes for completing workbooks and scripture memory. Throughout the year, there are fun theme nights where the kids can dress up according to the theme. Awana is for children 3 years old through 5th grade, and there is an annual club fee of $40 or $20 if the child already has a uniform. If this is your first or second time here, we want to answer your questions and get to know you. Please fill out the Connect card in the pew in front of you and bring it to guest services as you exit the auditorium. We would love to meet you and you'll receive a gift card. Have a great week and we'll see you Wednesday night at 7. There is no sign-up sheet for the lunch tomorrow. If you're 55 years of age and older, you just show up, okay? God bless you. We'll see you. Take care. (laughs) 